as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today we interviewed Aaron Ross, founder of Predictable Revenue and CEO Flow. Use of their sales framework helped Salesforce.com increase their recurring revenues by $100 million. We talked all about the tips and tricks he had for cold calling and even some unconventional tips about getting out of the building and how to reach people in a different way. Enjoy. 
Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. We're here with Aaron Ross, the best-selling author of Predictable Revenue. Um, he's built a hundred million dollar sales program at Salesforce and is currently writing a book with Jason Lemkin titled Predictable Revenue Guide to Tripling Your Sales. Aaron, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks guys. Happy to be here. Absolutely. Oh, so oh guys and ladies. Yeah. Guys and gals. <laughs> um so tell us a little bit about how you got started in the world of sales. Sure. And I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, but I started at salesforce.com. Well, actually, sorry. I started in 90, 1999 when I start, I uh, founded a venture-backed internet company. We raised a few million dollars and that ended up failing. And I realized that one of the reasons of more than one, but one the reasons was I, as the founder and CEO, didn't know about sell, like building a sales team. And so when revenue wasn't coming in, because you know revenue is pretty useful as a company, uh, I didn't know how to fix it. I had uh, abdicated sales, not delegated it to. I'd hired a VP of sales, but you know, I didn't know how to help when it wasn't working. So that led me to working at Salesforce.com. And there, back in the mid-2000s, I created the entire outbound prospecting, outbound sales effort which helped them almost double how fast they were growing and hundred extra hundred million dollars and so on. Probably been more like adding a billion dollars to their revenue by now and left a few years ago, wrote a book about it. And here we are just giving, sharing useful ideas that in my mind, there's a lot of great sales advice out there, but you know, rather than 30% increase, what are the ideas that'll give you a 300% increase? Interesting. What was kind of your, your, I guess, aha moment in sales when you realized that this is where you wanted to focus for a little while? Uh, I had a, a, a few ahas, but I think the first one was again, in my, after my company or either during or after the point my company had uh, failed when it really, um, I got the fact that I as the founder and CEO couldn't avoid learning how to sell or learning how to build a sales team. I was afraid of, I guess, looking back, it wasn't that interesting or sexy. It's times change, but sales was this thing you did. And I didn't really appreciate that you need money. And really, for most companies, money comes in through selling. And look, I understand as a founder, especially a lot of these techie founders today, the younger ones, it's the idea is alluring of, hey, I'm going to post some code up and some product and people just come in and a whole bunch of people are just going to come and give me a lot of money and buy it. And I won't have to, everything be automated. I'll just see this money show up in my account and I'll be able to list a code and hide behind my computer. Yeah. I and, think uh, we've all yeah. been there. Yeah. Yep. And unfortunately you get these stories. There's one, you know, every once in a while, some story in TechCrunch about the, the nerd who made a million or a billion or 10 or 20 billion from, screwing around in his garage mm-hmm. and uh, like Instagram with 13 coders or something. And look, that happens. But for most companies, it's, you don't have that lucky break or you don't have that insider. You've got to just plug away and you crank it out step by step, including figuring out and learning how to make money, real money with your code, your stuff. Because it's a skill. You can learn. It's not some, something you're born with. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people are, but you can learn to play the guitar and you can learn to generate money from your stuff. So what is one of the, 
I guess the big hangups that you see um, for early stage companies, are they not getting the leads? Are they not able to convert the leads? Where, where do you see the bottlenecks happening in the sales process? You know, for, yeah, for the early stage, for the companies like a, you guys maybe and a lot of listeners, if you don't have a salesperson, usually there's a couple things going on. One, on one hand, there's a fear of rejection. Of if, if I'm selling, there's this idea that, ooh, I'm going to be a used car salesperson trying to push stuff on people. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to like make money from them by selling them stuff they don't need. And look, but that's, there are people who do that, but that's not good sales. You know, if you're selling, you know, the right way to do it, the successful way is you're selling, so people, so people are giving you money for something that really helps them. And I understand that there's a lot of customers out there who don't immediately get what you do. And you need to help them, the right ones, understand why they should need you and how to get over their fears of why it may not work out, why they might fail with you. So anyway, that fear of rejection is one. And the second is just a lack of appreciation or understanding around sales. It's this thing, it's a little bit, I don't know, dirty or uncomfortable. I'm just, you know, maybe I can just do internet marketing and PPC. I'll never have to talk to anyone or never have to hire a salesperson. And look, I mean, you companies have been successful that way, but the thing is with sales, and this is what I've learned is that if you have a good salesperson or team, it makes everything so much more effective because honestly, people need help buying from you. To be honest, you may not realize that now because you think that your products are so amazing, but other people don't get it. They don't understand why your products are so amazing. So let me give you a more specific. There's this thing that Jason. Uh, Jason Lemkin is the guy who has the, probably the top SaaS blog. We're working on this book together. And, we, and he actually, he came up with it. Um, we were talking and this idea of it's like this 1585 rule. And a lot of founders, uh, you know, you think you're selling to people like you, these other engineers who are comfortable coming in and like off of GitHub or something and getting your code or using your product and they're going to figure it all out and configure it and they don't want to talk to anyone they just want to email. They want to be able to do it all themselves. And that's like 15% of the people out there. So that might get you your first few hundred thousand dollars or a bunch of customers, or maybe a million or something. But for most of the people out there, the 85%, they want to talk to a human. They need help buying. They're confused. They're not sure what you do. They're not sure how you fit into what they're currently doing. And it's not a self-service thing. So if, for example... I said, small deals can pay the bills, big deals drive revenue. Selling a $10 product a month is a great way to get started. It's hard to build, though, a big business or even a medium business out of lots of little deals for reasons we could go into. But it's, you know, if you can sell, take your, $1, your $10 a month product and repackage it to a business edition and sell it for $10,000 to one company, per year, or maybe even $100,000 a month to a company, which can happen someday, like how many little deals would that be worth? So in order to do that, this is that, you know, to get past your um, off the ground and start to drive regular revenue and significant revenue, you know, it's like you need to start taking sales seriously. And it's okay. There's a lot of fear about it. But I would say start by just picking someone on the team to, to, to try to dedicate to it or hiring someone who can be focused on it. They don't have to be a salesperson. They just have to be able to get smart about the basics. 
So get rid of that fear of the unknown. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I wanted to take a minute to thank Codeship for sponsoring the show. Codeship makes continuous deployment simple and easy. And we've actually been happy customers of theirs for a very long time. You should go to codeship.io slash rocketship to check out videos and tutorials all about how you can start using Codeship to deploy your product in a better way. Enjoy the rest of the episode. So when we're, we're hiring someone, um, I mean, one of the, the mistakes that you mentioned early on was not knowing how to lead them. Um, could you kind of give us some insight into what tasks you should do if, if you have someone dedicated to sales, especially if you pick someone from your team who may not have um, a big background in sales? What are some of the, the kind of routine, uh, I guess, tasks that, that they should be doing every day? Well, if you're starting out, the first thing they need to do is, is to get out from behind their desk okay. and not, stop hiding behind the computer and email. It's either use email, set up some phone, call, set phone calls with customers or prospects, go out and meet with them in person, either users or whoever you got. Whatever you can do to just talk to people, in person is better, but over the phone is fine. Stop emailing everybody. Uh, and just, and it's easy to hide behind email cause it's easy and, but you know, phone calls, meetings, and you want to get smart about like, why do they buy, you know, what's working well, what's not. Okay. If we came out with this business edition, what would you think? What else do you need? If we came up with a, you know, so if our, if your current product is a hundred dollars a month and if you can, if you, what would it take to create a thousand dollar a month version? What would it take to create a $10,000 a month version? So or just get out and like, or even topics, you know, learning, you know, how are you guys handling sales? Go meet with clients, partners, friends. Okay. What is, what is a lead? What does that mean? What do you, if you, how do you get leads off your website? What if you, what do you do with them? If you get them, you know, simple stuff like that. But a lot of people, it's new. I mean, I didn't know that stuff back before I started at Salesforce. I had no idea what a CRM system and I've been a CEO, but I didn't know what a CRM was. I, I hired people to do that stuff little bit different but just go educate yourself and part of this too is learning okay if you want to make get bring revenue in the best place to do that usually is sort of uh, businesses it's not these ten dollar twenty dollar a month deals it's a few hundred few thousand dollars what does it take to be able to do those it may not even be features it's probably more positioning packaging pricing uh, having someone on your team who can who may or may, whether they're a salesperson or not, it's like they're dedicated to it, to focus on it, to figure it out. It's stuff like putting a damn phone number on your website. Because remember, the people that will pay a lot of money to you are generally the people who want to talk to a human there. They want to, they want to call you. They want to email you to set up a call. It's like they don't want to see the difference is that 1585 rule for the 15% of the technical founders, you're comfortable going to figure it out yourself. You don't want to, I don't want to talk to someone. I just want to go check it out. Um, I mean, I was there. I was an engineer. And I did I mean, before. This is all like Turbo C and Object C. And I get it. But for most of these buyers who are going to want to spend a lot of money, rather than going to figure it out themselves, what they're going to do is go to you or three companies like you and say, hey, call me. And set up 20, you know, three 20-minute demos and you tell me what I need to know. I don't want to go out and figure it out myself. You tell me. I'm going to learn by talking to you. 
So if you can get your head around that, I think that's a, the fact that customers need help buying. They need help understanding what you can do because they're not going to get it immediately. And they want to talk to a human. You're, you're, you're much, you're going to be, 80% of the way there towards at least getting the ball rolling and getting over, I said, those fears of should we sell? What is selling? I don't know. Um, but ultimately, I think one of the best ways to get over those fears is needing money to come into the company. And it forces you to do things like, you know, change, you know, look at bigger packages, sell to customers, hire a salesperson, or dedicate someone to selling and putting your phone number on the damn website and these other things that can get the ball rolling. So one of the things that uh, Matt and I have been struggling with at, you know, just a two-person team, you could call me our dedicated salesperson, but it's not my all-day, everyday activity. Um, We've been finding a lot of excuses not to get out there and sell, and I know we're not alone in that boat. Um, And one of the reasons is something you brought up, which is when your product is priced low, you need a lot of people using it to start to generate any revenue. A lot. And so we, and, and our product is priced appropriately right now for what it is, but we're working on some very major updates that are going to allow us to provide a lot more value, hence charge a lot more for it. Yeah. Um, but those changes take time. And, you know, we're, even though we get close to smaller releases and batching it out, we find ourselves finding a lot of reasons not to start selling in advance. And I'd love your perspective on what some of those conversations would look like with a potential customer when the product isn't quite ready yet. Um, but, you know, we want to paint the dream and, and that whole bit. Yeah. Okay. And is this the hook feed one or brandistry? Uh, this is hook feed. Hook feed. Excellent. So I get it. Sometimes a product just isn't ready or that version, but, um, what you can also do is think about, okay, for whatever we've got today, what, there are, what kinds of companies would value this very highly and really need it? So, for example, Hookfeed, you're helping with Stripe alerts. Obviously, they have to be a Stripe user. Um, but maybe there's a slice, you know, I don't have, I have no idea how many customers Stripe has. Let's say it's a thousand. But maybe there's three customers at Stripe that, have enough transaction volume, have enough problems, let's say, I don't know, uh, health, home health care or something. It's just some weird, quirky niche that has enough transactions, enough failures, and they don't need enough features that you could actually are pretty close to helping them today or could. So one version is start by thinking smaller, being more niche-oriented. See, okay, whatever we got, assume we can't change it. Is there a company who would pay us a lot more just for this if we just package it to them because their need is so great and so specific. So that's one place I would start. It's, it's more common that companies, you overbuild features for stuff that is nice to have rather than, if, than it's like you're trying, a lot of early stage companies build a lot of features for all these, like you have this big dream. We want to change the world of blah, blah, blah. Haven't heard that before, but you want to change the world of payments or Stripe or something. Okay, great. And you can't get your, you're, you're trying to solve too many problems. And so there's feature bloat. And, but if you start with that market niche, some niche, that's so some type, it's not just the kind of Stripe customer that's having high reject failure rates. It's, okay, is it healthcare? Is it finance? Is it California? Is it this? Is it that? 
small business, big, some, some niche of a niche that is a small enough problem that in a big, as a, they have, they feel enough pain, but it's a, uh, let me say it's a small enough, well-defined enough problem that you can nearly solve it and do it and just nail it and then move on to other versions of the same problem. So it's like, you know, have a dr- big dream, but act really small. Yeah. Don't, right. That is the, the best way to get started. Yeah, and absolutely. One of, those, one of those gauges is, okay, even if you don't have that product ready, look, what niche could use it? Talk to them. Okay, if we could build this for you, would it be worth $5,000 a month? And how do you get that? Um, how do you find them? And I know that's a really kind of out there question where there's no defined answer, but um, like, how do you have that conversation with them? Um, when you go in there, what kind of questions should you be asking? And when do you throw out your, you know, your desired price? How do you have that conversation with them? Yeah. Well, first you can just even define them in the first place. So get out from behind your, your email, get out from an email, mm-hmm. whether literally or figuratively. And you can do what you call them, uh, like research and referral coffees, you know, go meet with your friends, investors, executive people and say, Hey, go have coffee or over the phone, you know, research. I'm trying to, we're trying to do this thing, right? We're trying to find these kinds of bigger customers or this stuff. Uh, Do you know anyone who you think would need this or someone else you think I should talk to? You know, the worst they'll say is, I don't know, but you should talk to so-and-so. And then you go to have the same thing with them. And it's like networking in a way, but you're just, you're, you're both trying to learn, you're doing research, is this a fit? You know, who do you know? And then getting referrals to people who will get you either at some point to a potential customer or a prospect or a partner. Now, if you already have those prospects and partners, same thing. Call them up, say, hey, or email them to get set up a call or a coffee. We're thinking about, doing the, we're thinking about building this, this premium product, this niche product. I'd love to get your feedback on it. Let me show it to you and show it to them. You know, what do you think? Oh, you're not excited? Like, what's not, you know, what will get you excited about it? Or like, what do you think you guys need in order to make this really make a big difference at your company? Or what problems are you, you know, what kind of problems are you dealing with with payments? And then the pricing, so, you you know, this goes back to, you want to, you want, you need to be a need, not a want. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't be, if you're nice to have, people won't, they just, They'll be like, well, that's really nice, but they're not going to pull out their checkbook at some point. So, so would you present it as a beta product that you're looking for feedback on, or are you presenting this as a as a totally polished, ready-to-go product and then negotiating on price after they show interest? Uh, well, it depends on where it is. You could sure show it as a, pro- as a beta. You know, I think that feels safer to people, helps set expectations if you're still developing either the product or the packaging. And then, you know, some of these meetings, someone's going to say, wow, should I, I'd like that. When are you going to have it ready? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds kind of like what you're describing is a sales process that looks a lot like customer development. Sure. And just in a, you want to make it friendly on yourself and them. And you're just trying to get smart. You're trying to, it's like the, it's about time to learning. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's why too, for this kind of, when you're early stage, Forget, you know, whatever mass internet-based surveying, it's just, it's not the same as getting out and talking to people and having 
conversations with live humans where I know it's uncomfortable sometimes or you feel like it's busy, but the, what you can learn is so valuable. Or being able to sit down with someone and just go through it, uh, uh, who you think would be an ideal prospect. So what are some of the biggest objections that you get from early stage software companies in terms of why they don't want to do sales? Is it just fear? Is there fear. something else? Yeah. It's like, ah, we don't want, you know, we don't want to, we want people to just come to us. And yeah, we want, and once they start, what do you see them doing wrong most often besides not getting out from behind email? Uh, not creating big enough. So one common one is not creating enough big, uh, premium options. So say so think about a 10 times leap. <clears throat> if you have a hundred dollar a month product, you know, it's probably more of a thought exercise, but what would it, who would need a thousand dollar a month version and what would it take to deliver that kind of value or product to them? And are there any attributes of the pricing plans that need to be factored in to qualify for certain enterprise deals? Like, does there need to be premium 24-7 support available? Are there certain boxes that pe- um, people at larger companies need to check? Um, no, it just it totally depends. I mean, I think that what you have to realize the biggest problem for a small company in selling to bigger ones is often not realizing that it's hard for big companies to buy stuff because they have to get a lot of people on board. And sometimes you luck out. You'll, but your first one or two usually will be, there's some champion, a CEO or an executive, and they just love what you're doing and they make it seem really easy to you. Um, and you, you, those are great. But the reality is most big companies, it's hard for them to buy because they have to get a bunch of people involved to agree. And there's a bunch of systems they have to, you know, or processes they have to update. And it feels like a big, it feels like a lot of effort for a big company to bring in a new system. So in other words, when you're dealing with enterprises or bigger companies, think about how simple can you make it for them to get started? Okay, freemium plugins and free stuff is, is a great way to do that. Um, but with the big companies, it's usually free stuff as a way to build some internal champions and get something going. And you still need some help and some a sales approach to sell to the executives who can actually make a real deal happen. Yeah. Is there a, a price point, uh, whether it's 200 or 500 a month that isn't quite in the high level enterprise deals, but that people have an easier time closing? Like do, is there any standard on corporate cards where people can uh, sign up for a $200 a month SaaS, no problem without having to bring in a boss? Yeah, I think I don't actually, I know in general it used to be like a $10,000 amount was before, you know, if it's $10,000 and up at one time, it would be to be a problem, more layers of approval. Uh, it's a good question. SaaS, I'm not sure. But I think it's, it's usually not so much the money. It's people's belief in how hard will it be for how can I succeed with this or not. And by that, like you may realize you have the best product in the world. But if you put yourself in your customer's shoes, which is easier if you go out and talk to them. If you put them in your shoes, you realize, wait a second. Okay, if I put in X, that means I need to like change. I need to like get my IT person. I need to get this SaaS person. I need to convince my boss. I need to get budget. I need to change my you know this payment process. I need to hire. It's it can be it can feel complicated. So you, a lot of your job is helping them feel like they have it's possible to do 
it's achievable, it's it's doable, it's simple. <clears throat> and payment terms is part of that, but but I think the biggest deal is just seeing helping people see why they need it and that they can have confidence in actually getting the results that they want because and they're not going to stumble along the way. So, um I got an email the other day and I would love some help on it. Um we had the Emmys uh, email us for Brandesty, and they wanted to use our platform to deliver images to their international partners. And it's not quite what we do, um, but we can definitely help them out in that way. And that's really all of his email said. He signed up. He uploaded maybe five images into our, our system. We have a free plan for him. Um, and I wrote him back and I, he wanted to be able to add taglines onto these images. And I said, that's absolutely something that we can do. Um, can you give me kind of your greater use case? And we never heard back. And so I was wondering, what does that mean? Like, were they, were they seriously looking into the product? Is this something that they, they may be, um, doing constantly? And maybe what might have a better response been, um, on my end? Well, you know, I, um, what was that last question you asked him? So what what would be, and maybe that's the most important question really, is um, what would have been a better response on my end? This is the first time that we were actually going back and forth. And how could I have I engaged him better rather than saying, yes, we can do that. Um, but without, I don't, I didn't give him any real actionable next step. Uh-huh. Well, there's a couple things. So first, when you're asking questions of people, these, uh, so again, this is the 1585 rule. Okay, if you're if you're a founder and engineer, you you know you sort of get it. You're going to email these this stuff, and but if you're like a busy executive from the Emmys or busy manager or whatever, you don't really. It's not that you don't have a lot of time to think, but you're not really willing to put a lot of energy into thinking into this sort of like side thing because you you got bigger fish to fry. Apparently, mm-hmm. you're like this looks interesting, but I don't know. So eh, I'll just see, and then I'll forget about it. Um, so what happens is if you, if you're, you're on email, ask, a, if you're asking a question, and I can't remember what the question you asked him, but the point is you want to ask open-ended questions, but they're not too open-ended. So at the beginning, so for example, um, did you ask him, it, uh, how many partners is he trying to send these images out to? Right. I, or, I did not. Yeah. Okay. So that's, cause that's easy to answer, mm-hmm. you know, he roughly, or, um, <clears throat> Let's see. What you don't want to ask him is, hey, what are your goals for this project? Okay. Because then he's like, uh, wow, that's, I, you know, I don't really want to answer that. In, their, in his mind, like, uh, uh, okay, move on. I'm confused because confused me equals no. I don't want to deal with this. Okay. I'll do it later. Forget about it. <clears throat> After you start to build a relationship with someone like that, if you, it could be an email, a couple quick questions. Email needs to lead to a phone call. So remember, this person, if he emails you and his phone number is in the email, call him. So even just even just receiving an email, if I have the call, just call him up? Call him. Okay. Yeah, call and him. should I be it's sending him back like meeting times if I don't? Like, are you available yeah. at these these following times, even though we didn't really yeah. discuss it? Yeah. Just okay. Say, hey, are you free Tuesday at 1 or 3 for a 10-minute chat? And should I be answering his question or should I be leaving that for the phone call? Because that's really my goal. Uh, it depends on the question. So, what, sorry, what was, was there a question so that you didn't? It was a very simple question. I did answer it, but it was, um, can I add tags onto images? And right now we can't, but it's something that we could, 
build fairly quickly into the product and we've we've actually talked about um so it was a very quick question it wasn't all that detailed but i did give him the immediate response i would write you know because a guy like that or i don't know if it's a woman or a guy but they can get busy mm-hmm. you're not their top priority probably right and so while you were like oh my god the emmys and you're thinking about them 24 7 you're he's thinking about you right now not at all because his boss is yelling at him and he's got this and other stuff going on so again at this point because he does he doesn't know you very well he's not willing to put a lot of mental energy into you so think small quick questions try to get a quick phone call and once you have two or a couple of those at some point you establish enough of a relationship and it might only take again one or two emails or a quick call and then oh okay I get you. I see how this fits. You've you've gotten from first gear into second gear, and now we'll, I'm willing to work with you some more. So what I would do, write him back an email. You can ask him that question: How many partners are you trying to, you know, update with this or, or some other version? Mm-hmm. Remember, it's open ended, but not it's not yes no, but it's also not too vague. So simple to answer, and you learn something useful. Have an one question per email, because if you start, you get these emails with two or three questions. Again, ah, it's too much work. Ah, I'll do this later. Pfft, goodbye, and then they forget about it. So one question, simple question, and that's what I would have done differently with that last email. You'd answer this question and then ask him a simple question, which, by the way, could be about something like the number of partners, or it could have been, "Hey, are you free to chat for ten minutes tomorrow okay. or Tuesday at three or So again. Not too vague. If you're going to ask, you want this to turn into a phone call because one five-minute phone call is worth 50 emails. If you don't say, hey, uh, let me know when you're free to talk. Because, again, it's too much work for them. So usually, okay, well, for this type of person, uh, I don't know. Better to say, hey, are you free to next Tuesday? Or are you free next Tuesday at one or one or three? So again, you're you're making it open, but specific enough where it makes it easier for the him to or her to answer. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Um, it's something that you don't often think about when you're just emailing back and forth with someone to put that much thought into to how you phrase questions or not asking too many. But it has such a huge impact on their likelihood to respond. Mm-hmm. Making it simple, digestible. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, is there anything else? I mean, you mentioned adding a phone number to your website, but is there anything else that is low-hanging fruit that's real actionable that you see a lot of uh, SaaS companies leave out of their website? Something on the pricing page or anything that they're missing typically? Um, well, case so oftentimes the best kinds of marketing are case studies and testimonials, but ones that help illustrate how your product is really being used and how it's making a difference. So showing the stories of how people are successful with your product. Yeah, like what do you do with it? And the other thing is to not put too... I know um, jargon can be cool, but try to use simple English with simple ideas and try to, uh, try to minimize any kind of jargon. I mean, the most important rule is you're... you're again, this is, it goes back to that 1585 rule around, you know, the, you're in, you start out by selling to people like you, people who get the jargon... Yeah, I know what a social media analytics platform that's crowdfunded means. But as soon as you are selling to businesses and you get past your that you know to the bigger market, all that stuff is just like gobbledygook. It's just, you know, there are people it's 
the Emmys person, you know, they're probably talk about, you know, again, brand identity, social media, crowdsourced, transparent management, next generation, scalable, blah, blah, blah. It's just noise. Why do why do so many enterprise software sites have that kind of language? I can never tell what any of them do. Right. Does it it work? No, it just, it works despite the fact they've got that language. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, sometimes, I mean, ultimately it's about you speaking in a language that resonates with people. And, you know, sometimes the enterprise that it's about your audience. Um, just like in academia and universities, for some reason, the papers and the books that professors write are just gibberish. If they're, but that's, it's like, that's what, uh, fits that, that style and other professors read it and like it, but the rest of the world doesn't care, get it. So, you know, since in one sense you can use your jargon to your sort of little slice, the people like you, but if you want to start to grow and just target a bigger market, it's, in fact, it's probably not 1585. It's probably 1% of the people are like you and 99% aren't. Yeah. Uh, how can you simplify, make it easier for people to get, to click on how you f- were relevant to them, how you can help them? You know, what would it mean to them? You know, and basically this, letting go, trying to get rid of the jargon as much as you can. A little bit's okay, but trying to make it simple to understand. Awesome. Well, where can we keep up with you online? Uh, PredictableRevenue.com is the site. And again, I'm especially excited about this new <clears throat> ebook, which is going to, is, you know, we're doing a published book, but starting with an ebook version, that uh, Predictable Revenue Guide to Tripling Your Sales with Jason Lemkin. And that's just at PredictableRevenue.com slash triple. And can people find you on Twitter? I am. That's Moto CEO. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Nate, my pleasure. Thanks. I hope this helps. Yeah, thanks a lot. This is awesome. (laughs) Will do. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. Oh, I'll be here if you forgotten. I ain't even gotta tell him I'm a fucking problem. Though I keep a humble wine into all.